to the Eugene Halliday podcast. Every fortnight we publish a talk from Eugene Halliday's collected works. These talks were recorded in Manchester and Liverpool, commencing in the late 1950s up until his death in 1987. This is episode 16, Arrogance. Defining one by another negative, two unknowns, one defining the other. Non-human, none is negative. You're an undefined and you're defined, you're not an undefined. Try again, Peter. Go back to basic behavior. When you're being arrogant, how do you behave? No, I'll be told the opposite. High and mighty. Instead of low and medium. Huh? Any other office? Huh? Any sister? Mm-hmm. Pride, aggression, pride, covetousness, envy, anger, confusion, gluttony, love. Very good, I like long definitions like that. Very good, very good. Lucky you got something in your mouth, otherwise you couldn't talk. Tongues are quite useful actually, but they do get in the way sometimes. Especially if you're trying to talk to your vowels. I'm very fond of vowels, but people don't seem to comprehend much from mere vowel talk. Anyhow, we'll take a dictionary definition to you with. Don't ignore the dictionary lessons you got one, you know. The object of having a book himself is to consult it. Roughly, it says arrogance is the taking to oneself or anything whatever without entitlement. How about an offer what does entitlement mean? What does it mean to you to have a title? Ownership. Oh. So arrogance is pretending to ownership without permission to do so. Where does the permission come from? When you get to the entitlement within the national state, what does it mean? Huh? Something that you do. You? How about the idea of honor to church people? And how about the people that return to his honor? Was it you? 
state compared by a superior being unto a relatively inferior being. You know, title is another word for label. Give you a label. Right Lord, high and mighty one, or whatever. Or half a Lord, mediocre, half a empire. Let's accept the dictionary definition for humans. If arrogance is the appropriation or taking to oneself of anything whatever without authority, without entitlement conferred upon us from above. Now, who would be the first one to confer titles? Somebody said God. Whispering. Don't mention the holy name. Certainly not out loud. Well, obviously the highest power is the source of the highest title. So Hashem, the name, the holy name. That to which the holy name refers is the infinite field of sentient power. And the infinite field of sentient power in itself is called the Godhead. But the same field beginning to create is called God the Creator. So we distinguish between non-creating sentient power infinite and the same power engaged in active creation and therefore called God. In the fourth gospel it distinguishes them as a definite article. In the beginning was the word, the word is with the God and the word was a God. So it's there in distinction between infinite non-creating, and the same power creating. Right. We're going to draw our famous number. And then if you see an article in the local rag, you might have felt terrified of the number of his motor car. 666. And he asked the local parson to bless it. Why bless it? It's supposed to be exorcised. Anyhow, the blessing didn't work, and he had another accident, and he was wondering whether he should reapproach the same man for the better type blessing. Now, let the light that you see on the screen represent consciousness. Right? Let there be light means let there be consciousness of what you're doing. Let there be consciousness. Consciousness means with analytical processes operating on being essence. Consciousness. The essence of being analyzed and held together. Consciousness only occurs when you analyze the content of the sentient power field discreetly seeing each component separately and then putting them back together again in relationship. And the light represents consciousness. And so far, apart from in the corner there, it is perfectly free from content. Imagine a consciousness with no content. What is it like? It's like nothing except itself. So the Mystics call it no thing, not yet a thing. Now how does it make things inside? It does it by focus. 
consciousness has the power and you all demonstrate to yourselves when you attend to anything whatever, attend. The tend is towards holding, tending to hold. You hold your field of awareness to a point. In the fact of holding yourself, you create by your interest the characteristics of the point. You insert interesting characteristics from you into that field of consciousness. And when you contract, the point of contraction is limited and dislikes the limit and tends to run out of it. So if I put a dot there, is that big enough to be seen? Is that big enough? Well, it should not have any dimension whatever, so it's too big. It's a location without dimension, as you two pointed out. But once you focus like that, it tries to dump. It doesn't like being pinned. P in, pin, power within. So it moves. When it moves, it dumps it out like that. And it's pursued by the field or intention to hold that point in being. It winds out like this. Off it goes into the internet from which it started. And this is our friend again, the number six winding in. And the field comes in, straps it, it goes round, it pushes it in again. And that's made that very ancient diagram inspired with a centre of reference. There's our number six. And that derived from this primordial diagram, the form in the mind, the form within the consciousness. Now we consider what it does. As long as we remember that the point was posited by the infinite, we are not arrogant. We are not taking to ourselves without authority of the absolute, anything whatever. We are saying the infinite has polluted a point of reference. I say, I'm a point of reference. You all say, you are a point of reference of consciousness in yourself. There is the center of your individuation, possibility, and here is the energy trying to escape individuation. Why? Because individuation is exposure to possible attack. Where you're individuated, you are formulated. Where you're formulated, you can be attacked. Now, you remember the rule? The light, the infinite, is a continuum. A continuum has no part. What has no part is identical, absolutely, throughout itself. So if you can make an number six there, it can equally well make another one there. All is fine and perfect and harmonious and beautiful until those two touch there. And at that point, there's a disturbance of each by the other. We call that point the point of contingency. And that is the point causing all our trouble, the point of contingency. Each being, there's a being, has 
by the very fact that energy can't do nothing, wound in tighter and tighter to a point where it can't go any tighter now to come out. And it keeps winding in, winding in, winding in, winding in. But it cannot go into the dead center because the motion of it is eternal. So it can't come to a dead stop. So it can't get into that center. That center is impregnable, invaluable. So I'll do it again. There we are. There's been. And there is the impregnable center. And I'm going to put letter A in there. Because that is the absolute. And it's precipitated that zone. Remember this is going on here. All the way around. But there is the absolute because the energy spinning cannot get into that center. So that A there, little A, and big A, are the same in absolute character and essence. That is big A, that is little A. If you want to write a, say, Alice, that's equal one. In Hebrew, we just write that. That's the first letter equals one. But if you write it in B, like this, that's worth a thousand. So the same letter means tremendous number, the absolute, is used, big, to represent the same, nude, as small. The large and small are identical in essential quality, character, and essence. Are those diagrams fairly clear? Are they present because there's a lot of them? No. Well, Jim will fix it because J is affirmation, I is individuation form, and M is substantialization. That's the picture. Now, when we have a situation like that, one picture if it forgets that it comes from infinity, cuts itself off there. Only in its imagination. It cannot do it absolutely. But it can think and pretend that it has cut itself off from the infinite. And it does so. Another one will come along. You strike it. And immediately the impregnable center there, A, and there, A, both absolute, identical with this absolute here, seems to look like an hour or a nice hour. Now, the ideal relation before the fall is that the absolute center of the individual shall speak to the absolute center in another individual. But at the point of stimulus there, there's a tendency to obscure. Because when two forces meet, they cause a rotation. When two forces meet, now cut them off, so they are contingent and they've forgotten their origin. They don't know there's a nice thing inside there. But here, when the energy goes to meet 
not delivered from the infinite sending power. So there's our ground for that. Now, in the human economy, in nations, you can be given permission by the masses of people to be, say, a prime minister or even an elected king. Like the people in Spain voting to have a king back after a dictator they didn't like. And the same in Italy and the same in many places. Kings have been elected by people accepting them. And they have been deposed by people not accepting them. So you could be affirmed by the whole mass of the human race and we like you and we like your government. So we confer upon you. Come fair with bearing. We put a load of responsibility on you. You're brilliant, you're clever. So you must solve our problems. The masses are dull. The masses are not very analytical. And when they see a very analytical mind, they nail it and tie him down, put a crown on him and say, you now belong to us. That crown does not mean the superiority of the king. It means the binding of the king to the will of the people that support him. That's tremendously important politically. If the Prime Minister, like dear Maggie, thinks she's got power from herself to rule a mass of idiots, she's arrogant. If she knows her power depends on the will of the people to keep her as Prime Minister, then she's not arrogant. You have to decide which you think she is. And you may or may not be right. And she may or may not be right from one moment to the next. If she may fall one moment into being clever, and the next to remembering the origin of her power. So our lowest level of conferring a title, a label of responsibility comes from people on the whole. The next level conferring titles, labels of responsibility is the elected government who once they've been elected think of themselves as an elect body separate from the dullards who elected them and they then elect those suitable for their purpose. So you then have a relatively small group electing you to be a responsible person and do as you're told by your elector like an American president. He's not there by his own power. He's there by a group, an oligarchy, oligarchy is rulership, by a tightly bound small group. They find him useful, he's smiling, good presentation, teaches age, and does as he's told. So the oligarchy keeps him in power. That's the second one. The first, the whole mass of the human race agree. Nice fellow, we can place ourselves in his hands. Usually that works out only a nation elects someone. There's not enough communication yet between all the nations of the world. Second way, the oligarchy elects and compares and labels upon and imposes responsibility on some individuals who will they believe fulfill their and do what he told. That's the elected representative of an oligarch. And thirdly, the absolute elect the elector. The absolute intelligence sent in power chooses upon whom it will confer 
a label. And it may not be a nice label to receive, as in the Old Testament prophets. They are called by God, go and prophesy. It's terrible people that are going to be destroyed for their evil ways. Sodom and Gomorrah and Nineveh. And the prophet goes out and prophesies and then the people throw stones. Now the absolute doesn't care about anything except the absolute final result. The oligarchy doesn't care. As long as they're elected representative, does what they want. And the masses of people don't care. As long as they get the little gift coming to them by politicians. In fact, the whole of it doesn't care for anything except its own will. So the real battle is the battle between the absolute sentient power, which is infinite, wise, powerful, and the relatively small group, the oligarchy, and the bigger group, the masses of people. But the one is going to win because it started the whole process, the absolute. So the victory is being gained before the foundation of the world. So it's all infinite power manifesting as systems, star systems, galactic systems, solar systems, terrestrial systems, government, they're all appointed from above. Now, if we know that, and we adhere to it, and we believe it, and we act from it, then nothing can happen without the will of the absolute allowing it to happen, then we are not arrogant. But as soon as we appropriate to ourselves anything whatever, no matter how large or how small, we appropriate it as mine, Propium means ownness, this is mine, I made it, I'm the cause of it, I'm responsible for it, and the absolute does not exist. Doesn't matter what it is, how small, how large. The moment we say that, we are arrogant. We are destined to be destroyed in our misapprehension. Our system of thought, based on arrogance, must degenerate, must be defeated. Because the absolute cannot abandon its own power. The one thing that God cannot do, and that is eliminate God, is to eliminate any modality of himself, but not his sense of spirit. So our arrogance is very unprofitable. Now it needs very hard self-analysis to see whether we appropriate something that thinks it's our own. I saw this art program about an artist that was neglected last night. Neglected throughout his life. And he was a bit sad at the end because he was being neglected. Now that was arrogant. To be sad about being neglected. Because it suggested that he had a merit of his own, which was his, and not conferred upon him by the masses or by an oligarchy, or by the absolute. So he was at fault. He was never very sad. And there uh, said to me, I would devour that picture, it's very good. Yes, but he was very unhappy that people didn't. He was unhappy because he did his best, and thought it was his best, and not the best conferred upon him by the absolute. Now, if you examine yourselves, 
you will find somewhere inside that you believe, and this of course is a bad thing, you believe you have something of your own to which you are not indebted to other beings. Can you believe that? Can you believe that part of you believes that it has a value in itself not derived from other people? Do you? Have you got it? Or can you say, no, no, I'm entirely free. I don't think I've got anything whatever. Not the blue eyes, the brown eyes, the grey eyes, the hazel eyes, not the black hair, the curly hair, the yellow hair. Everything I have left on my shelf. Somewhere you have a little cherished idea. This is my contribution to reality, to music, to the arts, to dance, to singing, to something of value to the human race and its mind. And that is that little contingent point there talking and hoping it can persist in its own course and win a kind of victory over the other beings who are continued and in defiance of the absolute source of all beings. Self-examining at this moment, can you really think that absolutely nothing whatever of value in us? This is of us ourselves. Nothing whatever, the minutest thing. Not the greatest, not the most minute, nothing. It's peculiarly ours. I saw on the program a little girl with curly hair. And she was delighted because she got lovely, long, brown, curly hair. In her innocence, she said, it's a waste. And he said, well, you can keep it after this girl. Take it home and admire it. But he said, you know, you'll grow up and that wig will become too small. You put it in the door, or let the wig stand, but your head's getting bigger and bigger. Not only that, but your arrogance is getting bigger every day. Highly probably that little girl will remember. 1987, I was afraid to my golden lock. I like to prove it because I got them in the door upstairs. I remember one very intelligent woman. She's very old and wonderful too. This too. Beautiful. Well matched. And I said, you marvelous teeth. Are they yours? And she said, of course, I paid for them in that. <laughs> but I was only kid. Now, all ownership, the word own means owed to the absolute. They say, this is my own, this is my own pen. This own pen is starting to dry out already. We want to leave it exposed to show that I expose it too long. I'll do something. I'll have to press very hard and get the ink now. It's like us. We need more and more effort to be ourselves. The older we get. Why? Because everybody else is being themselves in our presence and acting upon us. So how do we cure arrogance? Well, first of all, because the masses of the people won't vote for us unless they believe that we will fulfill their wants. And the oligarchy won't vote for us and put us in power unless we obey them. And the absolute 
is that the real source of all entitlement will not give us a title except to fulfill its own absolute purpose. Let us say the absolute, absolutely intelligent and omnipotent and omnipresent, they can't lose. So, intelligences ally ourselves with the absolute, not with the masses, not with the oligarchs, with the absolute. And if you do that, the masses won't make it, because you will allow tolerance to some people that they don't like, like the Israelis and the Arabs, Palestinians, or the people in Beirut, Islamic people, Christian people, Jewish people, and they're all busy promoting themselves. You can't please them all at once. If you please one, you annoy another. So it's no good looking to the masses for permanent establishment, security, by giving them what they want because you can't. Because they want you to exclude somebody else from the benefits you're conferring upon them. The oligarchy will only use you as a tool of their will, and they'll throw you out in a car crash, a plane crash, or some deliberate exposure of your private norton to the public. Don't get rid of you if you don't serve them. But the only one who won't get rid of you is the absolute. If the absolute intelligence is able to utilize whatever we are with all our beliefs, including our erroneous beliefs, we can use them and fit them in to a universal pattern. Can you see that intelligence we better have a proper ally? Not a rubbish ally like the populace, not a selfish, greedy, egotistic, ambitious one like the oligarchy. To the absolute that knows all and has everything under control and prepared life upon us that put together egg and sperm and made a child into a human being. It did it. The mother didn't do it. The father didn't do it. The oligarchy didn't do it. The masses didn't do it. So the absolute did do it. On which side do you place your bet? Naturally, where would you like to have your faith, your belief? With whom would you like to ally yourself? Can you feel somebody present, omnipotent, all compassionate, all the greedy, stupid, ignorant, ambitious? Two. How do you feel with such a simple choice? Well, you feel fine, except for one thing. Mean airshare of the contingent stimulus memory. There is memory. Now, the letter M, Hebrew men, means substance. And substance, you can only say that letter with your lips closed. So, it means a closed system. In fact, we ought to draw a circle around it like that. And then turn it into Sanskrit. Like that. Ah, the magical arm. Which is a Christian for that O is done with A U N. The simplicity of the absolute power substance. Absolute power substance. R U M. Absolute power substance. 
simplicity. And when you say that magical word, which yogis believe quite correctly, symbolizes all things whatever in the smallest little diagram. A sign there, M in the circle. Closure, substantialization. You don't substantialize sub under stand standing until you close your system. Until you close your superstand. The very superior being identical with the absolute until you close. And when you close, you finite your intelligence the nature available in consciousness and in every way you reduce yourself to an external contingent slave to outer stimuli. Now that magical M also means incarnation. Remember everything whatever admits to its opposite and the opposites are equally valid. The good, the bad, the high, the low, the near, the far love and hate, they are all equally valid and in the absolute they are mutually interpenetrating. Can you believe that the evil in the absolute is so soaked with good that it's an evil that is good? It has a function. Can you see that? That the evil soaked through and through with good is wisdom. It's a list of all the things to avoid, all the things not to be done. And that's conscience, inherent, essential consciousness. Conscience, within word, which in English is conscience, means consciousness. You've only got a conscience where there is consciousness to tell you, don't do that, that's inefficient. Socrates had a demon, that means say an analytical mind. Demon means analytical mind. The spirit of analysis. And it never spoke except to say no. You can do whatever you like except the wrong. And if you listen inside, you are entirely free to choose anything whatever except the wrong. The moment you're about to do that, you hear a little warning voice and no. Now it's very quiet, so still small voice. It doesn't shout, it doesn't compel you, it just says, no. That means, not to be done. If you ignore it, you set rolling the whole system of ideas which carry you into your next misery, which is, like the misericordia, educational, horrible lesson. So it's either, or, either you listen to the voice that says no, or you're in trouble, and that trouble Educate you. Now the opposite of M is H. And H means hierarchy. That's like a rugby goalpost. You know the difference between soccer and rugby, don't you? In soccer you keep the ball under the bar. That bar represents the pelvic girdle. In soccer, which is common type of ball, you keep the ball under there. That's a sexual target physical. In rugby, the ball has to go over the bar. The other one has to rise above the diaphragm. So, the Greeks call the zone here, 
between the diaphragm and the navel, the epithematic, the sensitive rays and anger, frustrated the enemy. It will burst out and destroy everything. So you must play rugby, rude boy, who's red, energetic, but he needs a lot of energy. Far more in rugby than he does in soccer, doesn't it? See them piling up on the field. Don't you recognize them anyway? A lot of energy there. Only best quality boys can play that. Suffering with the rules. Right, now, we like one other letter there. N. N means now, intelligence. We draw ourselves a funny kind of fish. Now we draw the fish again, ocean. And to the Maori, the ocean. And the hierarchy. And the dear old fish mouth. You might as well put the eye in there. And need steering. We've got a funny fish. That's why the Messiah is called a fish. And that's why that word fish means fish. And it means affirmation stage. Affirmation is the sum of God. To affirm what you're doing consciously, intelligently, is to be led by the messianic center of your absolutism. Now, we're talking about arrogance, and arrogance simply means you think you have something of your own and that you're not indebted to any other being whatever for that thing. It could be a tiny thing. You might have a, a face like a film star. Very beautiful. And not a very good actor. He doesn't care about it. He's so beautiful. He's happy to be beautiful. And he thinks his beauty is another family. There's one being interviewed late. He's asked what he remembered in his life. And he said, only the insults, all the nice things he had, he couldn't remember them. He could remember one thing, that a critic had said he was no good. He'd been put forward six times for Oscars and not given one. And he could remember it. Now we tend to remember that because the contingency of there is finite, limited, vulnerable, and terrified of annihilation. Did anybody see Burgess, the novelist, interviewed the other night? No? I don't know how I get so much time to see you. He said, at 70, I'm a cradle Catholic. I've been taught to believe in hell and the infinite void emptiness. I'm terrified of both. I'm terrified of annihilation. I'm terrified of hell even more. Simple little word, hell. Last night on the phone, a man mentioned this to me. I don't necessarily have to watch the program to hear about it, do I? Maybe somebody will tell me. And he said, 
The word hell, figure of sin, means his eyes blinked and he shook with fright at the word hell. I knew that he knew a bit of German. And I said, what does the word H-E-L-L mean in German? He said, it means right. Right. Like you'd ask for a hell, a beer, a light beer. And immediately he stopped shaking. And suddenly got a new interpretation. Hell is not roasting on a spit in fires eternally. It's just like beer. And he stopped shaking. He said, oh, that's good. I think I'll think only of German type hell in future. It means bright, it means light, it means intelligent. That's only association of a word and it rescued him. And we discussed that the Teutonic peoples love fighting, love enjoying fighting. Their heroes in Valhalla, the Hall of Heroes, deliberately fight, kill each other, die, wake up, have a pig hunt, eat, get drunk, fight and die again. That's their cycle. And they call it hell. Bright, bright life. Get out your hammer and beat each other to pieces. You are eternal anyway. All you can have is trump. You cannot destroy the spirit. You can batter the skull or the body and ruin it, but then the spirit makes another one. So laugh. Yes, laugh. And laugh and laugh. That is slaughter. It's the word laughter and the word slaughter. For the same reason, because most of the English people have a Teutonic origin. It's fun. Providing you remember you are eternal, you can fight the good fight. The weapons of the good fight are nothing but the words of universal logic. Universal logic that we own of ourselves absolutely nothing. We are nothing. Except an image in the mind of God, his image, not ours. He makes an image, and in his image he makes man. And man is man because he's in the image of God, and God makes the image. So whatever man is, he's entirely indebted to God for his humanity. That's a very sobering thought. Whatever we have is passed in any field whatever, whether it's Casanova or Einstein, all our talents have a divine origin. When we know that and remember it daily with each other in our relationships, then our relationship is divine and we are no longer arrogant. Remember, we can relate from absolute center to absolute center. So that's the field. And here, the existing dot can be bypassed, ridden over. We can all talk to each other, A to A. Call that point continues in gamma, the blockage point. Aga, that's a cooker, isn't it? But it's also the basis of the action. Aga, Memnon, the Argonaut. There was a discriminative R in circles.
we can relate to each other A to A. Or we can relate to each other egoic to egoic. In which case you have an unending fight. Or one of them, the A one, can relate even to the egoic structure of the other one without being in any way influenced or conditioned by it. That isn't obviously logical to get rid of arrogance. You know, one of the things about arrogation, arrogation means to go around and mark out a territory. What is the arrogation ceremony about? Huh? Meeting the boundaries. Well, it used to be conducted by the chief and the priest king and he used to walk around the boundaries of his territory and take with him a lot of supporters and some muscle men and he found that anybody standing there knocked him off. And walking around like that, knocked him off. And that's Wellington of Rogation. He's a victim in there. What well, does rogation mean to the church? Work and break. Work and break. And the work is not the other fellow out and pray and stand. <laughs> it's a very ancient custom. Remember, all these things are appointed by the absolute. Nothing exists, even the worst kind, even age. Nothing exists without permission of the absolute. Why? There's a lesson in it. I read an article today about the number of ministers of the gospel in America with AIDS. How could that happen? Lots of them. Oh, how very interesting. Well, it means time to tighten up. Time to remember a little bit of the rule of relation A to A. Because if you were considering A to A, there'd be a lot of things you wouldn't do like you would do if you were made ego to ego. Ego to ego says, I want to enjoy myself. And I don't mind using your body as an instrument to my enjoyment regardless of the effect on you. My two prostitutes were interviewed a couple of weeks ago, and one of them had AIDS and the other wasn't sure. And they said to them, how do you feel about possibly giving this to your client? <laughs> one laughed and said, you know, I've got a customer, she does it. You then, what do you want? He's in business. It's his fault. And he will learn a lesson. And he gets for his, what did he say, the current price was seven pounds. And that's rather cheap. And now this small boy, that wouldn't go for four pounds. <laughs> you buy a piece of meat for four pounds. You may not know that in the statistics derived in the Sorbonne University in Paris that there were two ways of getting sexual delight, auto-erotically, and one was a long French loaf with the middle pulled out, and the other was a, a, a roll of steak around the member. Well, that's really seeking A as a structure, utilizing it. Now, if you do that, you are being arrogant, whether you know it or not. As soon as you try to utilize any other being, 
in any way that it from its alpha center would not approve, then you are being arrogant. You are allegating to yourself the right to treat another being as a mere means to a finite end of yours. Ignorance. Mm. I formulated on a card about 20 years ago with a lady that arrogance equals ignorance. To ignore is willfully to disregard. Yes? Ignorance is not not knowing. It's not necessary. Ignorance is willful disregard. And you're disregarding when you're arrogant something you know to be perfectly true. Did you design the sperm? Did you design the ovum which put together made you? You know you didn't. Because you say, I am myself. And I've got individual rights. You know that's rubbish. Well, you mean you don't like always to be aware of it? No, 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 certainly. Ignorance is willful disregard of anything whatever that impedes you. If it gets in your way, you ignore it. Knowing me, I'm knowing me. Yes. If you're aware of what you're doing, well then, when you injure somebody, to your own advantage, yeah, you call that wrong. Yeah, but I'm not going to call that arrogant. Why not? That's what it is. You're arrogating. You see yourself a right. Not to need to know what will affect other people. Aren't you? You're having to work hard on that one. It makes you 100% responsible for anything you do. Well, that's a horrible burden. I've only really got to be careful and consider other people. No, just consider the absolute rule. The rule called the golden rule. What you would like to be done to you, and what you would like not to be done to you, use that as a rule for you with other people. When you're not aware, when you're not aware, it's because you're ignorant. That is, you have willfully ignored something that otherwise impedes you. Mummy, I'll stamp my foot if I don't get another ice cream. But you had five already, darling, and you have a stomachache. I don't want a stomachache, I want another ice cream. <laughs> That's ignoring stomach capacity, isn't it? Very important to distinguish it. Ignorance is willful disregard. It's not nation. It's not simply not knowing. It's not innocent. Ignorance is willful disregard of something you know. Oh no, it cannot be unconscious. You have made it unconscious by refusing to examine it because it impedes you. You know the good criticism of Freud was this one. Freudian psychology has made everybody not guilty of what they do. I think it's my unconscious. So there is no unconscious except that which you have repressed because you know it will impede you if you don't repress it. In law, ignorance is no excuse. But innocence is. 
maybe when we do not first know it's innocent, nothing knows. You willfully disregard the law. You know you do. Because you say, well, I don't know the law. You have deliberately not examined the law. If you feel it might impede you. I've recommended a very good elementary book on law to lots of young men. You know, learn about your decision. Learn about the law in some way. Here is the book. Take it home, read it. Bring some notes back. I've not had one yet that's telling. Why? He doesn't want to know. Really not. That's ignorance. That's willful disregard. And you may create the unconscious by deliberately ignoring what you know. Therefore, you escape arrogance. You say, well, I haven't got an unconscious. I said that which I have will not to know. Since I will to know, I can find it. I can dig in my mind. I heard a voice on a record last week. And I shuddered when I heard it. It was a tenor. He was singing, Hear my song, Violetta on the 78 record. And immediately his name sprang to my mind, that's Joseph Locke. <laughs> Take it off. So I examine it. And I go back to the Koino restaurant. And a friend of mine in the middle of the day is having lunch. And she's a very big bodied Yorkshire girl with a very good voice. Very big girl, blonde. With a very good voice. And she's singing away there. Very soporatic artist over the dinner. In comes a Big fellow, jumps, looks amazed, walks across to the table and says, I am Joseph Locke. Come to my table, my dear. And she replied, I don't need you, Joseph Locke, to tell me how to sing. And he get back to his own table. And that was very unpleasant one. You know, a respectable Indian restaurant. Who's prepared, who's a well-educated lawyer? Such a noise in his restaurant. It would have been worse if I'd have had a duet. <laughs> and it stuck in my mind that what a way to spend your lunchtime. Listen to a bathroom from Joseph Locke in Violetta. And, uh, Oh My Beloved Daddy, sung by a large Yorkshire blonde. And both at once. Now, how would you like it? It's engraved in my mind. So I tell you, I'm not arrogant. I don't think I engraved it. I think it was engraved by a superior power. <laughs> and there is no unconscious for the human race other than the buried elements they don't want to know about. Lord said you should blame all your crimes on the unconscious. How can you control your unconscious if there is one? Telling you to murder this child, rape that woman, rub that back. Not you. The unconscious. Remember in West Side Story, the naughty boys singing we are deprived and therefore depraved. Yeah. It's an excuse. We're depraved because we're depraved. We had ignorant mothers and fathers, drunkards, 
How could we have a good beginning? Because I'm unconscious, full of naughtiness. And we love indulging it. It's not our fault, it's our unconscious. We cannot hide behind the unconscious. Because we can always dig out our real motive, if we wish to. Hard work, but we can do it. Do we want to? Well, inertia says no. The inertia of that little contingent up there says don't examine it, you'll be stuck doing what you want to do. Do you? Well, I mean, do you like it? Do you like the weight of responsibility that you build it on? Oh, good. You think so? You're not that a bad quality thinker. I like the idea of What? I like the idea of the practice. I like the idea more than the practice. Why? Because practice means overcoming inertia. Yeah? Look at this. You put a terrific amount of energy into descending that egoic structure. Not only you, but your parents, your grandparents, the whole of your ancestry backwards is waiting you against acting on what you know to be true. If you to listen in your head carefully, you'd hear silly comments from great-grandmother, great-grandfather, or even from Adam and Eve, telling you, do this, it's natural than that. Those voices exist in the human mind, and they conduct dreams until you dig them out. Practice is hard, but it's worth doing. If you finish that primary with the light, and all the contents in it are known, to be facilitated to the will of the light. And then you are not arrogant. You are entirely self-creative because you are identified then A to A. Yes? Yes. How did you find the word will? Huh? Well... (laughs) 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 All right. And just remember that light signifies infinite intelligence and power. Right? Now the word will, correctly used, means initiative. Not reaction to a stimulus, the origination of an act without a stimulus. Yeah? In that case, there is only absolute one will, the absolute. Anything lower than that is contingent reaction to stimuli. Now, how does that fit into your question? Yeah. Don't both. Paul did that. 
not to your faith on the part of Yahshua, and your faith not to your faith on the part of Yahshua, where is your Jehovah and Christ? Okay. Do you accept that? Yeah. Then you're a good Muslim. <laughs> You've been circumscribed. Yes. The moment you accept that you are an individual, not conditionable by any other individual. The moment you come out of continuing stimulation reaction, you are circumcised. The circumcision of the flesh is only a symbol. The real thing, have you drawn a circle around your mind so that your mind is impregnable to the egotistic intentions of our mind? Yeah? If so, you're a Muslim. And remember, Muslim only means an acceptor of that basic proposition. Allah, all that is considered in its allness, purely, is God. And there is no other God but the whole. Anything less than the whole is not the God, is it? It's a continued manifestation, but it is not the God. Who was the theologian that said that? Was it, was it Anton? Who was it, Anton? Who was the fellow that said, imagine a circle from which you can imagine no bigger and call it God? That's a nice joke. That's the monistic financing of the God. Actually, there's no circle that you can imagine that you couldn't imagine a bigger. The real one, the God, is infinity. And that is one to which you have no form. Thou shalt not make any graven image of the God, because the God is infinite, not representable. And that is the one that has caused everything. First by conditioning itself to be God, and then by within that circle, in which infinity is greater, you make smaller circles right down to human beings who are little gods. Yes. Well, the A inside the circle, yes, is the infinite absolute within the circle. And the circle in no way stops the continuum nature of the absolute, does it? When we spin water like that, it doesn't stop the water being continuous, it doesn't. It really makes the vortex within it, does it? So it's infinite. In every finite center of awareness, the infinite is operative, conditioning, and creating the life process of that individual. Yes? <laughs> well, can you easily see that? The nature of continuum is passing. What is passing is not in any way limited by any function of it. Yes? We individuals are individual functions of the non-individuated absolute, which is called Brahman. 
We are jiva, the famed individuals for development activity. We are in and of and have no reality of our own, independently of it. So we should be kind to each other. We are kin to the absolute and to each other. Yes? <laughs> the, the, important, the important thing is this, that the so-called will of the egoic man is not will, it's not in his activity. The only true will is the will of the absolute. So when you say I'm willful to this and all, it's a man who's ignorant. Yes. Oh, he said J-I-V-A means the firm individual developmental activity. And that's the will of the absolute, the new will to be ignorant in order to have an experience which will enlighten you. Your greatest misery is your greatest enlightenment. No, he actually gives you that will because a continuum has no part and whatever is anywhere is everywhere. So the will of the absolute is in every individual finite as the will of the absolute. And it's that that makes you make mistakes and get into trouble and suffer and educate and become enlightened. Are you saying that these little wells over here are monarchs? Yes. Yes. Appearing to be suffering. Yes. Like the Leibnizian monarchs. I'm willing. Mm-hmm. Yes? Buy it. Now here, let's test you for arrogance. You'll buy it. Have you got the way with all the paper? You do. <laughs> and that's fine. That means that the absolute in your case is allowing you to pay with absolute money. Please subscribe to receive notifications of future episodes.